We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy to have you with us today. All right, Ed Litton, Aubrey, is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't need to retell that story. You and I did many uh, segments yes. earlier in the summer about that, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, about the election of Ed Litton, and there was a real pushback. There was kind of two factions, right? You've got the very conservative side of the Southern Baptist and you have the less conservative side, not progressive, still very conservative by yes, most standards. Absolutely. Uh, but the other one is literally called the Conservative Baptist Network. And there's a real kind of debate going on within the Southern Baptist, plays out on Twitter all the time, plays out in other spots. Right now, uh, you can Google this. There's actually uh, an atheist advisor advising the Southern Baptist Convention on CRT right now who called oh. into question the other day through a tweet of the incarnation. So we got that going on right now. Wow, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, a li- it's a little nuts right now. But Ed Litton uh, came out yesterday with a tweet uh, about Christians and politics. And I thought this important, Aubrey, for what he said, but also because who said it? Uh, Ed Litton, again, is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So in many ways, he's saying, this is the direction I would like to take the denomination, right? That's a big deal. Mm. Southern Baptists are the largest Protestant denomination in the United States of America. And so uh, when he speaks of politics, it's a big deal and people are kind of parsing his words. So here's what I'd like to do. Okay. I'd like to read his statement for you. Okay. And then you tell me, agree, disagree, what jumps out. Just reflect on it. Okay, here we go. This is Ed Litton. He said this yesterday. He said, like most evangelicals, Southern Baptists proudly encourage patriotism and political engagement. Yet, we have always done this while insisting upon the preservation of religious freedom and the separation of church and state. As a Great Commission people, we desire all of our fellow Americans to repent of their sins and follow Jesus. But as Baptists, we firmly reject the idea that any person will come to saving faith through government coercion. We therefore also reject any notion of a state church or national religion. As God's people, our participation in political discourse must reflect our allegiance to Jesus rather than obscuring that commitment or calling it into question. Therefore, Christians should reject the callous methods and crude sloganeering of secular politics. We must always seek first to honor Christ with our words and conduct as we and conduct as we engage in political discourse. Those were the words. That's the statement from Ed Litton Aubrey. What do you think's going on there? What what stood out to you there? Well, I you may have said this, Brian, but or may have hinted at this. I'm guessing he's responding to the the event we talked about earlier this week, the big Agreed. John Hagee event at that church mm-hmm. um, where they were talking about politics and what have you. I Here's, here's what I think. 
And again, I'm not part of the Southern Baptist Church, though I, I did come to Christ in a Southern Baptist Church, so I have affection for the Southern Baptist Church. I think so many Southern Baptist people have really embraced their politics as like part of their faith. They just mm. go hand in hand. And so I appreciate here he's saying, yes, be political. Yes, we care about religious freedom. Yes, these things matter. Yes, we want all of America to repent and come to Christ. But this idea of a like um, national religion or mm. nationalism is really not part of the gospel. It's not part of our faith. It's not part of what it means to be a Christian. And then I appreciate that he went even further. We should actually reject that. Mm -hmm. So there's something about not just um, not just being passive and be like, well, I'm not going to participate in that, but sort of like intentionally rejecting it and rejecting things like the sloganeering. I love that word. Oh. Like, uh, what is it? Let's go, Brandon, that you taught me about recently. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, and I think the call is, again, we honor Jesus. We honor Jesus. We honor Jesus. And we honor each other. And so I appreciate him. Mean, he's obviously calling out some things that are happening really boldly in Christian circles right now. And I appreciate that leadership. Yeah, I love that he says, as God's people, our participation in political discourse. He doesn't say don't participate, like yeah, you said. Exactly. It actually assumes participation here. Mm -hmm. He says our participation in political discourse must reflect and he italicized that word in the statement, if you could see it. He says, must reflect our allegiance to Jesus rather than obscuring that commitment or calling it into question. Here's what he says. Basically, let me um, sum up what he said right there. You are primarily a Christ follower if you call yourself a Christian. That's mm -hmm. above party. That's mm -hmm. above nation. And that's where your hope lies. And he says any part of your political discourse, whether it be your social media presence, whether it be... Aubrey, the actual policies that you back, yeah. uh, whether it be the political candidates or party that you back, everything needs to fall under the umbrella of the Lordship of Jesus. Everything Amen. primarily reflects Jesus. And so I think what he's asking the Southern Baptist people, and by extension, all of us to do, is to take a hard look at my own political discourse, yeah. my own political beliefs, the old, the old, my own reasons for voting for people or believing in things. Are they determined uh, by by my um, following of Jesus, by my devotion to Jesus, uh, or am I really being? Is my lordship really a political party or a mm. particular politician? Uh, and, and that's that's a difficult question to answer. How do you think this is probably being received by people in the Southern Baptist Convention? Oh, I mean, I, I'm sure it's not being received well. Like My guess is those who are sort of already here and agree with this are like, awesome. I'm so glad he finally made a statement. I would say those who are in, in that more, uh, you know, political affiliation, you know, alignment with the Southern Baptist Church are angry at this. And and maybe, I mean, this is, it, sometimes this is what good leadership does, even though it can feel really painful. Maybe this is a watershed moment for the Southern Baptist Convention. And there's a group of people who are about to leave and form something mm. else as we've all, we've all sort of seen being hinted at for a while because he's, Ed Litton is being very clear here. Um, 
And so we'll see. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, the hard part is like Twitter doesn't tend to change hearts and <laughs> yes. this is a heart change issue. But I, I do think good leadership does sometimes draw a line in the sand for yeah. people. And so I appreciate that he, he's taking leadership seriously and doing that. But we'll see. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how people react. I do like how we started too. Like most evangelicals, Southern Baptists proudly encourage patriotism and political engagement. Sometimes yes. when you say things like we're, we're Christians first, we're for the kingdom of Jesus, people think that you're saying reject America, right? Reject right. The, uh, any political engagement. Not at all. Right. Uh, you know, I want you, I want to go to the 4th of July parade and wave the flag and uh, cheer and celebrate. I think what Ed Litton's trying to do and what I, think you and I try to do on the show is say, just have it in the right priority level. Just remember who ultimately is your Lord, who ultimately, what ultimately is the kingdom that you're living for, and then live politically out of that, live as an American out of that. But too often it's getting reversed. And so uh, Ed Litton kind of charting the course, if you will, here for where he would like to see the Southern Baptist go uh, as he leads. I think it's really interesting. Causes us to ask hard questions about ourselves. Well, coming up next, uh, Pastor John MacArthur, he reflected a little bit on online worship, and he talked about whether, in his opinion, if it's even the church. So we're going to talk about online worship and John MacArthur's words next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, Aubrey, we've said this often on the show. You and I are both pastors. And um, in some ways, since March 1st, March whatever, 15th of 2020, uh, everything has kind of changed, right? Everything yes. about the nature of church feels like it has changed. We've gotten introduced to things like Zoom, to things like a lot of us, uh, especially churches your size, my size, we weren't live streaming before, uh, but then we quickly were forced into doing it, whether it be through your own platform or Facebook right. Live or, right. or on YouTube or whatever else it might be. And now the question, as churches... Um, have either fully re started meeting again or are starting to meet again. And wherever you fall on that, the question is, what role does technology now play going forward? Mm. What role do we believe? And John MacArthur from Grace Community Church out in California, um, he, uh, he had some strong words the other day about what he called Zoom Church. This was in relation to a question he was asked. He was clearly taking a kind of question and answer time at his church. Uh, and this was posted on Grace to You. It was posted on October 31st. Uh, a young man got up and asked basically, uh, what is church and what's not? Right? Like he's talking about this. This young man was talking about he's got friends doing Bible studies over Zoom. They're yeah. gathering together on text strings. They're doing this and that. And asking MacArthur, basically, is this church? I want you hmm. to hear a little bit of John MacArthur's answers. Zoom church is not church. It's not church. It's watching TV. Um, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing about that that fulfills the biblical definition of coming together, stimulating one another to love and good works, coming together 
uh, singing, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, um, sitting under the Word of God, praying together, being led by those who preach the Word and open the Scripture. The definition of a church is crystal clear in the New Testament. We see the picture of it. They came together on the first day of the week. They worshiped the Lord. They prayed. We know it was the apostles' doctrine, prayer. Um, it was fellowship, and it was the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper. So the, the church is defined clearly, and it's the communion of the saints. It's fellowship. It's partnership. The term koinonia means a coming together, a unifying together. It doesn't even function unless people are mutually, as we were saying this morning, mutually using their spiritual gifts for one another and, and meeting the wonderful fulfillment of all the one another's. How many times in the New Testament edify one another, pray for one another, rebuke one another, build up one another, on and on, one another's, one another's. We're, we're only the church when we are together. And the church is the church when it corporately worships, when it corporately prays, when it corporately hears the preaching of the Word of God. Those are the things that define the church. All right, so the headline there, Aubrey, is Zoom Church is not church, right? And he kind of unpacks uh, what he sees as the important elements of a church. And I totally see where he's coming from, a lot that I agree with, but I also, it raises a a couple questions for me as well. But what did you think about just kind of his initial, let's get, hear the foundations of what makes a church a church. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as, as we've been leading in 2020, 2021, of course, Kevin and I have been asking that question too, like what does make the church, the church? And, you know, there, obviously we do find some great truth in, in Acts chapter two, that the church gathered together regularly for the breaking of bread and the um, teaching of the word. And they met each other's needs, shared everything they had. Like that's such a beautiful picture of who the church is. And I, I believe that the church is most, the mostly the church when we are embodied, when we are together, I don't think that necessarily has to be in a building, but when we are together, worshiping God, serving him, uh, sharing the sacraments, etc. I mean, we're a communal faith, right? Not an individual faith. I do think some of the beauty of Zoom or online church or what have you over the years, it, uh, especially over the past few years, is there's been a missing portion of the population that I think a lot of our churches have missed. Now, mega churches have not, but us kind of medium to smaller churches have missed. Right. And that is those who are homebound, whether or not it's COVID, you know, people who just can't leave their home because of health issues or social anxiety or, or, or just other reasons, ill health, or they're caring for an aging parent or what have you. There's a lot of people in that um, segment of the population. And so there is something really beautiful about online church mm-hmm. because then people who are lonely and isolated can actually feel like they're a part of something. There's something really beautiful about even Zoom Bible studies because people who are separate from another can be connected to other people. We had a woman, this is just an anecdotal example, mm-hmm. but we had a woman from Canada who began to join one of the Bible studies Kevin and I led during COVID over Zoom. And she was so lonely. And that was her only time to be in community. We kept encouraging her to go find a church in her town, but she, for whatever reason, was really connecting with Renewal for a while. And so I, it's like... I, I agree wholeheartedly that the church, 
should be together. Yeah. I also agree wholeheartedly that I don't think we're going to actually change the direction of technology. Like that's too <laughs> big of a ship to try to move. And so where can we utilize church for the sake of church in a really God honoring and people honoring way? I think there's a lot of meaningful ways we can do do church and add to church on our supplement church. I'm not sure the language yet, yeah. but there's a place for both perhaps. What do you think, Brian? I think you and I are in the same spot. I think we want to do what MacArthur did here and hold up the value of the embodied church. We want Absolutely. to hold up the value of the one another's, the joining together, the um, being a part of a community. It's really difficult to be part of a community uh, when you're just watching online. I wouldn't yeah. go so far as John MacArthur goes that, that this is just watching TV. Right. Uh, right but I, I, I get where he's, I get where he's coming from. Yeah. Uh, but what I would say is now's the opportunity, especially for churches our size. Like you said, mega churches and stuff, they've been utilizing the technology pre COVID. Uh, but for a lot of churches out there, we have not been able to do that. And so now becomes kind of the time to wrestle with, well, you used a, a, a good word, like what it, how can it supplement what we're doing? So I think of, like you said, the homebound person, mm -hmm. uh, the person who can't come, who may be uh, immunocompromised and still has COVID fears. Right, right. Uh, or like you said, they just can't come to church. They are homebound. Or uh, if, you're a, if you're a church like ours who does one service, this becomes a way to tell people who serve in your children's ministry, say, hey, I'd really love for you to be able to go back and now you could go back and watch the service. Mm, Does it replace going to yep. the service for them? No, but hey, one way that we can make it easier for you to serve is that at some point during the week, you could go back and watch what you missed essentially and feel like now you're part of the community yes. that you missed by serving our kids. That's, That's I good. believe, another way. I do not believe that online church uh, should be a replacement for people just going, I don't feel like going. I agree. Yeah. I don't feel like, or you know what, in the busyness of my life, I'll just watch this on my convenience at some point and do my thing. I, I think that's what MacArthur's pushing back against here. Cause Aubrey, I do think there's a nature of the church issue here, right? It's, it's not just a church because we talk about the Bible, right? right. Like if, if right. you and me and a couple other couples join together for dinner and just this, there are some elements to the church that are important, the sacraments and and the teaching of the word and 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 the singing, like he said, of psalms and hymns and, and spiritual yes. prayer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so th there are conversations to have happen here. What do you think is going to be Renewal Church going forward? Once you guys are fully meeting, fully running, uh -huh. uh, doing everything, what's going to be kind of your view, do you think, of recording Sunday morning. I, you, know, you guys don't even record your service. You record something different, right? Yeah, we record, a, we record a separate service strictly for our online audience, and we'll keep doing that. We we really like it as a ministry tool. We have people, like you said, some of our volunteers who, because they're behind the scenes on Sunday morning, can't watch the service, or people who want to share the service, like they loved it in person, but now they want to share it with some friends who weren't there online. Um, and so for us, we'll just continue to do that. And I, I will say a little bit selfishly, and th but this is very true. It helps Kevin and I because we record on Thursdays. And so our sermon has to be done early. And so now neither one of us are like up super late Saturday night or up super early Sunday morning. Our sermons are done and actually helps us enjoy family time on the weekends in a way That's that we awesome. couldn't before we were doing this. So it has only been beneficial. And 
I would say yes. There are some people that are like, I'm just going to watch church right. on not TV many anymore, today. Though. But I think that's not that many anymore. That's I people agree. who are on vacation or maybe they have a sick kid at home. Um, and so I, we, we're going to keep doing it. What about you guys? Yeah, it's interesting. You and I, I think, are landing on the same spot. We're going to keep doing it. We've committed to keep doing it. But we do it, I'm using uh, air quotes, completely differently. Like you guys record on Thursday, a separate service. We just live stream what's going on on Sunday, and then it stays on our Oh, on our, okay. Our, okay, nice. Which can yeah. be awkward sometimes, but people know. Yeah. What, what's happening here on Sunday is what you're seeing. So yep. I'm still up late sometimes on Saturdays, still up early on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, doing my thing. So I, an interesting thing, one of the main ways the church has changed since March or whatever of 2020. Good words there from John MacArthur, challenging words. Hey, as a reminder, Pastor John MacArthur, he's a teammate of ours here at the station. You can hear encouragement from John MacArthur on Grace to You weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. All right, coming up next, would you invite a stranger to your Thanksgiving dinner? We're going to talk about that cool story of somebody who did it and the fruit that has come out of that. We're going to have that conversation next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. I heard this story a couple years ago, and then every year they kind of update this story. So let me begin. Let me just tell the story of Wanda Dench and Jamal Hinton. In 2016, Wanda Dench, she lives in Mesa, Arizona. She thought she was sending a text to her grandson. What she didn't know is that her grandson had changed the, uh, his phone number. So the text went instead to a complete stranger by the name of Jamal Hinton. Uh, Wanda Dench sent the text thinking it was going to her grandson saying, hey, here's what time we're doing let me know if you're coming. Hope to see you. It was that kind of text, right? Okay, like, yeah, gotcha, played. gotcha. And Jamal Hinton wrote back, uh, who is this? And she wrote back, your grandma. And <laughs> he wrote back, grandma, can I have a picture? And she wrote back, I can totally see every grandma having this conversation because she wrote back, of who, question mark. <laughs> and he wrote back, you, you, LOL. And so she wrote back, she sent back a picture and he presents, proceeds to send back a picture of himself. And it's just funny because she's like, a, yeah, at that point, a mid-60s uh, white grandma. He's like in his mid Oh, no, he's at that point 17 African-American students. <laughs> sends it. back a selfie of I himself. I love it. I love it. And they just start laughing. Well, he's 17 years old. And he texts back, can I still come for dinner? And she replies, of course you can. That's what amazing. grandmas do. Feed everyone. Aubrey, that's in 2016. This has now become a thing where they post a picture because he celebrates Thanksgiving with them every <gasps> single year. Are you they've serious? Become, yeah, they've become good friends. Now at 22 years old, he confirmed the other day, quote, we're all set for year six. Okay, I'm obsessed with this. Along with a screenshot of a text message from Dench inviting him and now his family oh. Over oh, for dinner. This is amazing. Once again. Now they haven't met in person because of the pandemic, but now sure. they're doing it again and they keep posting pictures from okay. every year. Uh, <laughs> they've become friends. 
Uh, Wanda Dent said, my dad is Navy, so we would invite vets over that we didn't mm. know either for Thanksgiving. Wow. Uh, so I saw his picture. Even though I invited him, I did not think for a second that he'd want to come to my house after <laughs> sure, seeing my sure. picture. Uh, and so this gets uh, – I remember seeing this story years ago, but it comes up over and over again. And now some other things have happened. The two shared the holiday meal for the fifth time uh, last year, right after Dench's husband died of COVID-19. <gasps> no! They'd been married for 40 years. Oh. Uh, and so it's the first time last year without him. And so it's just a great story. I would encourage people to Google it. But, Aubrey, there I bring it up because – this is almost a good news network story that we do. Totally, right? like it, it is. Absolutely. It started almost as a joke where he got a random text from a lady and sent her a picture and said, can I still come? And she's like, yeah, but it's turned into a really deep friendship. Uh, uh, they, mm. they are divided along a lot of lines that we are yeah. divided culturally by yeah. age, by race, by background, by all sorts of other things. But they celebrate Thanksgiving with each other. Aubrey, please, you didn't know this story. Tell me your thoughts on this story. I mean, it's so beautiful. And I feel like, okay, let me get a little dark for a minute. These are the stories that you watch like Lifetime movies about. And then like someone's a murderer. You know what I mean? (laughs) That is dark. So, but the fact that this didn't turn out that way, that this has become a beautiful friendship. And like you said, a long, like what could be divided racial lines and age lines and gender lines. Instead, like this friendship, this unlikely friendship has been formed. And now they're really in each other's lives. Like after her husband died, he was, I mean, I just think there's something so beautiful about this. And, you know, I'm not saying that we know that they were both lonely people, but the reality is it's one of those moments where the Lord truly does put the lonely in families and like Mm. connected them and gave them to each other. And, I'm sure this is going to be a lifelong friendship, you know, and oh, I hope it it's a lifelong yeah. friendship. Yeah. And soon we'll probably read the book about it or see the see the Lifetime movie about it or whatever. But I think this is so great. Here's my big question. Why did her grandson change his phone number and not tell grandma? There's probably been some discussions about that. You bring up <laughs> a very valid point. Uh, and I also thought when you said, well, I can't wait to see the movie about it. Definitely Sandra Bullock. I mean, this is like in Bullock's lane right here. I like it. Uh, Jamal Hinton said, after meeting her the first time, I just knew she's another person. Age is really just a number. It doesn't matter. You could be friends with anybody. You could be family with anybody. I mean, it's just a beautiful story. And like you said, it's got it's got so much to it. Aubrey, I do think this teaches us something about being aware of people out there, being hospitable. Like that's a yes. Christian trait. Yes. Um, looking past things that normally divide us culturally. Yes. Uh, and taking a chance. It was kind of a chance to be like, sure, come to my of family Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, maybe not as dark as a chance of what you said, but <laughs> but you're taking I've a chance. At easy. the very least, it could have ruined their Thanksgiving, right? Who knows what this guy. But it's really blossomed a beautiful friendship. Don't you think there's a lesson here about hospitality, about a willing to have your life kind of thrown in uh, upside down a little bit and about Mm. just the idea of community and friendship here? Yeah, there is definitely a lesson here about, you know, just welcoming everyone to the table. And in some cases, literally the Thanksgiving table and and seeing who maybe doesn't have an invitation at Thanksgiving and you could be the one to extend that invitation to them or being willing to maybe get out of your comfort zone 
and invite somebody into your life. I mean, all those things, you know, I, I know like the introverts out there, including myself, are like, no, I would never do this. Um, but what might God do? I mean, I think that's yeah. that's what this story is like. Look at what God did. And you just don't know the little, the sort of the little miracles that could happen if you decide to take a risk and say yes and invite somebody into whatever it is you're doing. I mean, it's it's challenging for me. It is really challenging for me. Yeah. You you do ask the important question here, though. What is What the heck is up with the grandson? What is the grandson? <laughs> you know? I wonder if he still got the invite. So go ahead, Aubrey. Today, it's your homework. I want you to Google Wanda Dench and Jamal Hinton, and you'll see news reports from the past six years about it. The best part is like the very initial text string that went between them. It's just such a fun story. Like you said, I think it'll be a movie. Coming up next, how do you make connections with those you love while also handling all of the stress that comes at the holiday season? That's something so many of us deal with. We're going to talk about it next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you're with us tonight. I want to remind you, in case you've tuned in for the first time, what The Common Good is. The Common Good exists because we want to find those places in our divided society where we can find unity and agreement. And sometimes because of that, Brian and I have guests on the show where we talk about topics on the show that we actually totally disagree with. But because of our unity in Christ, we want to honor nuance and we want to honor different perspectives. And sometimes we know we have people on this show or topics on the show that Brian and I are passionate about, but you disagree with. And that's actually the heart of the common good. We do that very purposefully because we're trying to go for the common good in a world that's so divided. We want to do the best we can to be unified, to honor different perspectives, and to find the most Christ-like way through. So I'm telling you that because we're about to talk about something a little bit. It could be a little uh, triggering, Brian. Uh, not politically, not even socially, but personally, and that is family stress at the holidays. All right. So um, tell me how much you dislike your family. Just kidding. Just yeah. kidding, right? Just kidding. Scalable. Top five <laughs> family members you dislike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, okay. You don't need to talk about your own family, but like on a scale of one to 10, how stressful would you say family stress at the holidays is for people? Oh, if there's, a, it's one of these things where if there's not, a great amount of family stress. And I think people are like, no, I love the holidays. This is right, great. But if there's right. any, if there's any underlying tension, if there's any unresolved conflict, Thanksgiving, Christmas is like taking a can of gasoline and just pouring it on top of it. Yes. Right? Like, and I, why is it though? That's what I can't figure out. Why is it like that? Do you have any thoughts, Brian? I think a, because you don't, you're with each other. Now you're generally, uh, you end up, um, Hopefully, your st stress isn't so bad, your tension isn't so bad that you avoid each other over the holidays. But right. now, whereas the other 50 weeks of the year, maybe you're kind of avoiding each other, not even, you're there. Uh, and then it usually just, <laughs> what's the old song? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Right? You, might go, <laughs> you might go into it going, I am not going to fight with my sibling. I'm not going to fight with my parents or my uncle or whatever else. I'm not going to do it. Yes. And then that one comment happens. 
yes. that one joke happens, that one whatever happens, and all of a sudden, here it comes. It's just up there. Uh, so, and then you just feel tense because you've uh, – okay, I won't make you speak of your family right, either. Right. But you've, we've all probably been in family situations at times where you're like, I am just going to try to get through this unscathed. Like, yes. I just don't want it to happen. Yeah. And that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, we are not going to argue. We are not going to, there's not going to be tension. There's going to be tension. So, then. And right, so right. I think it's all of that. The holidays, and then you feel like this pressure to be, everyone get along at the holidays, but yeah. I don't want to get along. Right. Yeah, it's all that. But the holidays, I think, are a combustible time where you just uh, you just pour gasoline on on whatever's already out there. Oh man, that's such that's such a good description. The holidays are combustible time. Well, I was actually researching some uh, some wisdom on how to handle family conflict and holiday stress. And Dr. Elizabeth Scott has some um, has some tips for us. Okay, and I want to share those with our listeners in case you're feeling a little stressed going into Thanksgiving. Here's some tips for us. Okay. Um, take turns with relatives. So, you know, move around the room, mm. uh, maybe take turns with who you actually spend the holiday with. So if you were with one relative, it was a little bit stressful last year, maybe choose a different relative <laughs> the next year. Uh, she also offers that you host celebrations at your house. Now, that could be stressful depending on your personality no, type, you. <laughs> you know, like no, I don't necessarily want to do that. But for some people, it may feel like you've got the home field advantage, uh, she gotcha. also says, be prepared for some conflict. Like you said, let's just know, okay, my mom always criticizes my appearance or my brother always makes rude jokes. That is going to happen. So you can't fix everyone or change everything. So be prepared for that. She also says, look, just say no. If it is causing you way too much stress, don't do it. Be with the people mm. that you love and aren't stressful for you. That's okay. You have permission to do that. She offers like having a Friendsgiving where you're just surrounded by friends that you love and there's not all of that family stress. So what do you think about those, Brian? Do you think that's uh, reasonable? Yeah, those are reasonable. That last one I'd push back a little bit. And I am a, I am one, especially in family situations, who does all I can to avoid conflict, yeah. right? Like yeah. I'm a classic younger, I'm the younger brother. Mm. I'm the younger, us younger ones, we tend to try to be like, everybody good? Everybody good? Like, we're just gonna... <laughs> But with that said, I, I, you could only avoid the family conflict for so long if it's already there. Like, by, right. And generally speaking, I don't know what your family's like, but- if you said, you know what, I'm just going to go be with people that I'm happy to be around, I suspect that's not going to dampen down the conflict. Uh, I Good believe point. it's just going to raise it up. But I get what they're saying. Like, set your boundaries. Yeah, set your uh, boundaries. Do, do what's healthy for you. I would, I would add some simple ones for Thanksgiving, particularly. Make sure the football game's on. Mm, like just have some distractions or something like that. Yeah, this is probably true more for us guys. Let me paint with a broad brush. But having a football game on in front of you in which you could talk about football tends to make it a little bit more of an enjoyable time. Um, yeah, so I, I would go that. But it's, it is, Aubrey, there will be. Uh, there'll be minor inconveniences and annoyances for some people, but for some people, the next week or the next six weeks are going to be a big deal. They're, they bring up a lot of stuff. Yes, absolutely. So we will be praying for you and hope that you can like gird your loins and get prepared with some of these tips. All right, Brian, I want to I want to turn a little bit kind of a hard left and look at some positive things that families are doing to connect with 
with each other. Technology being the way it is and distance being what it is, there are some families who just can't be together. And so they're using the Cameo app, which is essentially this app where you hire, you know, not like top shelf actors, but a little bit lower tier actors. You pay them some money and they actually make a video for your loved one. And uh, Brian Baumgartner, who plays my favorite character on The Office, Kevin. I know you love Kevin too, right? Yeah. Love Kevin Malone. Yes. Well, he made a million dollars on Cameo, making these Cameo videos. But here's what's so cool. The BBC interviewed him and he talked about uh, how he remembers why it matters, essentially, why Cameo matters. So I wanted to take a listen to that. Here's how I view uh, Cameo. I view it not about me and part of it is i think is is who i am on the show this is not about me this is not about getting a message from me this is how i view it i view it as an attempt uh of two people who want to make a connection a father and his daughter that used to watch the show together uh now maybe she's away at school or is in another town and they want to make a connection and so they give this message from me um because it brings them back to a moment that they actually shared together. As long as I keep focused on that um, and, and how much people seem to be enjoying it, then uh, it's, it, it's been actually very, very rewarding for me. All right. So there's Kevin from The Office, our good friend Kevin, just really talking about how the, the beauty of Cameo is all about families making connections mm-hmm, with one mm-hmm. another. And I wanted to bring that up in this conversation on holiday stress, because I do think sometimes some of our stress is really just like, we love each other and we want to love each other well, but something is missing. There's some miscommunication. We're not loving each other, connecting with each other. And so we kind of fill in that gap with like villainizing the other. But at the end of the day, we can make connections if we are intentional about it. And Cameo's sort of an expensive way, depending on the actor that you hire and sort of a silly thing. But the point of Cameo is making that connection across the miles, across the distance. And I think what I like about it is that that's a good attitude for us to have as we come into the holidays. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, coming up next, how can you tell if you're burnt out? Are you just tired or is more going on? We're going to talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm here with Brian Fromm. My name is Aubrey Sampson. I'm so thrilled that you're with us here today. Brian, something that we've talked about on the show before is we're both leaders. And we know a lot of you listeners are leaders. Or if you're not leading a ministry, you're you're leading something. You're leading in the home or you're mm-hmm, leading mm-hmm. some kids or you're just... All of us, I think, are in some position of leadership, whether it's professionally and formally or whether it's um, kind of informally and casually. And the question is, leadership is tiring. Leadership is exhausting. We talked yesterday on the show about how 38% of pastors right now are, are considering, seriously considering quitting. So the question is, how do we know when exhaustion has become something a little more serious? How do we know when our tiredness has moved into burnout? That's a great question. Carrie Newhoff over at his website. Carrie Newhoff is one of those church leader guys who speaks into leadership and speaks into the church world quite a bit. He uh, gives us 11 signs that you're more than just tired, you're burning out. And I think these are really, really helpful. So before we dive into his 11 signs, 
Brian, uh, have you felt burnout before? And if so, how did you know? Uh, I certainly think I have felt burnout before um, in various in different times. And I think it, it is a tiredness, Aubrey. But I think for me, a huge red flag uh, is a kind of a mixture of apathy and cynicism. Mm. Uh, where if if so, let's take we're pastors. So as a pastor, if I find myself becoming cynical about the church or apathetic towards the church, um, I think that that for me is a big sign of burnout. Like something's not well in my soul. Because there's other times I'm tired, but I'm really excited about the work that's going yeah, on. Yeah, that's good. and I'm really energized to still do it, but I'm worn out because mm-hmm. life is tiring. For me, it's not about tiring. It's about attitude. It's about mm. uh, perspective. And when apathy, like I said, when cynicism, uh, when these kind of things are kind of growing in me, uh, I know that I'm probably heading into at least a bad spot. Yeah. All right. Well, I think you're gonna. we're going to find some of those show up on this list from Carrie Newhoff, 11 signs that you're more than just tired. And here's the good news. I'll say this. He says he's going to post later about ways to recover from burnout. So we'll have to circle back to this because I think I'm going to fit into some of these categories and I need some help. All right. Carrie <laughs> Newhoff, I need some help. All right. But here's some, here's some of the points he makes. You might be burnout. If your passion fades, that's something mm-hmm. of what you were talking about. Everyone yep. struggles with passion from time to time. But burnout moves you into place of sustained motivation loss. Think about it. For those of you in leadership or ministry, you used to have passion for what you did. Passion got you into leadership, but um, passion may die. And he says for him, he just couldn't feel it. Like he, he knew what he was doing was important, but he just couldn't feel it. He could not find his passion anymore. I'll read another another one. And Brian, I'll let you take over here. But number two, he says, your main emotion is numbness. Mm-hmm. You no longer feel highs or lows. He says, if you're healthy, you feel things. You experience highs and lows. But when he was burnt out, he couldn't feel either properly anymore. I think that's a really interesting one. Yeah, that's kind of that apathy I was telling you about. Absolutely. Like you're just yeah. like, whatever. Like, yeah. okay. Uh, he says, the next one, he says, little things make you disproportionately angry. Mm. When you regularly lose your cool over small things, it's a sign that something deeper is very wrong. And I think that's what this is all about. Yeah. Whether you use the term burnout or other stuff, it's this idea that there's things in my soul that aren't right. Mm. And it, it runs deeper than oh, I'm just frustrated. And that yeah. one is good. If if a little thing makes you fly off the handle or just be go nuts, that's a bad sign. And number four, everybody drains you. Uh, he says people are a mixed bag for sure. Some energize, some don't. I get that. On this side of heaven, that's life. But when I get burned out, I realize nobody energizes me anymore. Not even my family, my wow. friends, or my leadership. Team. Wow! I think that's a huge red flag right yeah, there. If you're just good. like, if there's people in your life that you used to like, be like, oh, I can't wait to grab coffee with them. Mm. I can't wait to hang out. And now you're just like, I don't want. That's just a chore. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I think that's a big red flag for what's going on in your soul. Yeah, that's good. All right, here's a few more. You're becoming cynical. He I says, that one. I like this one. <laughs> oh, cynicism. It's hard not to become cynical as you age. That is very true. But he says, if you find your cynicism advancing at a rapid rate, it might be a sign you're burning out. Then nothing satisfies you. Sleep doesn't, prayer doesn't, good people don't, recreation doesn't, vacation doesn't, work doesn't, food doesn't. That's a sign of depression, a sign that you're burned out. Let me read one more. You can't think straight. When you're burning out, your heart messes with your head and you lose the ability to think straight. That's a really interesting one too. That is. That is. At number eight, it's an obvious one, I think, that your productivity is dropping. Mm. You're just not getting much done anymore, yeah. right? You're like, because uh, if you're not motivated, if you're not into your work, you're going to 
drop your productivity. Uh, number nine, a big one, you're self-medicating. In the early stages of burnout, many people turn to self-medicating to numb the pain, whether it's overeating, overworking, sexual addictions, drinking, impulsive spending, or even drugs. You choose a path of self-medication over self-care. There's wow. the important phrase. Yeah. You're trying to numb yourself so you don't have to look at what's mm. going on in my soul. Mm. Uh, let me read number 10, and then you can do the last sure. two. Uh, you don't laugh anymore. Wow. I said <laughs> She may not even remember saying this to me, but years ago, I was just kind of in like a a little bit of a lull, a little bit of a valley, I should say. Uh, And my wife said this exact thing to me. She probably doesn't even remember. Just Mm. like, you're just not, you don't seem like you're having fun ever. You're not laughing. Like you, we're used to you being the laugher, you know? Yeah, you're the funny guy. And I had to think about it. I remember this was years ago, but I remember thinking to myself, I I think she's right. And why is that? Like what, what's taking away that joy that even, even when life is hard, being able to laugh at yourself or at others. And he says, this is another red flag. Why don't you take the last one? Yeah. The last one, he says, sleep and time off no longer refuel you. So if you're just tired, a good night's sleep or a week off or two will help most healthy people bounce back with fresh energy. But if you're burning out, sleep and time no longer refuel you. You could have a month off when you're burnout and not feel any difference. I think that's a really, really important mm-hmm. sign as well. Okay. So Brian, with a couple of minutes we have left, he's going to tell us in another post how we get better at it, in another uh, post. <laughs> how we how we recover from burnout. But what would you say just pastorally to the listener out there who's like, man, I, I fit into a lot of those categories right now. I, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. It, it's it, <laughs> knowledge is the first key, right? Right. Yeah. What was, uh, just knowing is half the, is half the battle. That's the mm. old GI Joe thing. Right. And so um, kind of going, yep, that's me, I think is a huge start. I, I think there's small steps you could take. There's the introspective take that goes, why am I like this? Like what's going on in my soul that I would even be at this spot and what changes do I need to make? But then Aubrey, I do think uh, this is where accountability and community and also kind of Sabbath and uh, even sabbatical could come into place. Like, hey, I actually need to get out of the situation that I, I can't get into a healthy spot, let's say as pastors, while still leading the church. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of swallow my pride. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to my elders and I'm going to say, listen, I just read a tweet about this guy. Man, Aubrey, I wish I remembered the name. I read a tweet the other day of a pastor who got up. He was saying this in his tweet. He got up this past Sunday and he immediately started weeping and just sat down. He just He just broke. He broke. And in the tweet, he said, my elders have blessed me with eight weeks to kind of like get right and get away. Sometimes it's a complete removal of what's going on. That's the only answer. And that requires some humility, right? To go to your elders, to go to your board of directors, whatever job you're in and go, listen, if you want me here long term, you need to kind of kick me out short term. (laughs) And like, so I can figure I can figure some things out. So that's a couple that come to mind. I don't know if any more come to mind for you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that Sabbath rest is so, so important. And then I, I honestly think that there may be a, a point, and there probably is a point, when it's so severe that you need to see a therapist. And there's no shame in that. There's no harm in that. In fact, it's better for you. It's better for your ministry. It's better for your family in the long run if you get the help you need, because you're not going to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're not going to be able to just one day wake up and be okay you're going to need some help. And that's okay. That actually will probably make you a better leader in the long run 
that you have been through something, done the soul work you need to do to find healing so that you can keep going. I think the people that you serve are going to be better served because of that. So anyway, we hope you're not burnt out. But if you are, we hope you take good care of yourself, especially over the holidays. Well, coming up next, we're going to find out how God surprises us by the incredible things he does in our lives. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and it is the end of the show. And one of our favorite things to do at the end of every show is to send you home with something inspiring and encouraging. And I was thinking about, you know, Brian, there's a lot of times when people speak no's over us or they reject us or they, I don't know, you hear these stories of like a Michael Jordan who gets cut from his team and then grows right. up to be Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Or, right, or we, right, right. we talked about this on the show, I think last week or the week before about Jewel, the singer who, you know, was like playing to nobody when she first started out making her music and basically was told to quit, but she kept going because she had this dream. And so That's right. it's kind of an interesting concept when someone tells us no, but God is clearly calling us something. How do we respond to that? Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris Kane, she's a friend of the show. Uh, she was preaching recently somewhere and really shared about in her own story how that happened. And I wanted to play it for our listeners because I think it is so, so powerful. Let's go ahead and take a listen to that. I remember in Bible school, the dean of our college who didn't like chicks talking after I did my first chapel and God really moved. But he got up after that and he said, Christine Karyophilus, after that pathetic effort, nobody will ever have you preach anywhere. And you know, the devil will always try to attack you in the area and shame you in the area that God wants to use you somewhere in your future. So whether it's because of your gender or ethnicity, growing up immigrant, I grew up in the poorest zip code in my state. I was sexually abused for 12 years. I found out at 33 that I was adopted. I had no idea. My brother got a letter from the government. He found out he was adopted. And when he went to confront my mother in that moment, um, my mum said to me, Christine, since we're telling the truth today, do you want to know the whole truth? And so in that sense, at 33 years old, I found out that I wasn't who I thought I was. I found out that I was adopted. So there was a whole brokenness. I tell everyone everywhere, I fit every government funding category in Australia. I'm a marginalised, oppressed, dispossessed, poor, ethnic, minority, abused, adopted chick. I could make a fortune on government funding <laughs> because they fund people like me and they give me a label and they say, victim, we will pay you every week and remind you of your victim status. But church, I read the book and my Bible says that he's redeemed my life from the pit that I am no longer a victim, but we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who strengthened us more than. And now God's using all the things that the enemy meant for evil in my life to bring redemption and hope to others. It would be just like God to take an unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted chick from the back of Sydney, Australia, and not only rescue me, but now use me to turn around and open the prison doors for those that are still bound and still in captivity. That's what more than a conqueror is. It's not that I just get by and just got through, but now we can open up the prison doors for others. Okay, so what I, what I love about this line what, or what I love about one of the lines that she she preached there, Brian, was when she said something like, it's right where the enemy is trying to shut you down or trying to silence you. That's the very place that God wants to use you mm. for his kingdom. And I think that perspective 
is really, really empowering because I do think sometimes we can let other people's rejection or a door closed or whatever make us feel like, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I am misreading my calling or I am not supposed to go after this thing that I feel like God has put in my heart. But what if it's actually the opposite? What if it's the enemy trying to keep you because, because God wants to use you powerfully in that way? Mm. Um, It's just, I don't know. I think there's something really encouraging about that. What do you think? Yeah, I, we're all going to run into rejection and not everybody's rejection is valid. And so we're going to need to decide do I believe that this is where God is calling me? Do I believe I'm gifted to do this? Am I passionate about this direction? Understanding along the way that it happens every time along the way, there's going to be people who tell us this isn't for you. You're not good enough. You can't do this. And, And the question Aubrey becomes, how do you just move forward from that? Or does that just totally derail your dream? Right? Like, yes. Yes. I'll remember when we were getting ready to, uh, leave Glen Ellen Bible Church and start Four Corners Community Church. And we did a big church meeting at Glen Ellen Bible Church. And this guy who was actually a friend of mine, he raised his hand. There's this room full of people, uh, raised his hand. Kelly, our pastor, was taking questions. And I'll never forget it, even though it was 13 years ago. He said, no offense, but why do and why in the world do we think Brian is the right person <gasps> to do this? Whoa! And I was just like, no offense taken. And like, it was like... At that moment, Aubrey, I could have said to myself, mm. he's right. Right. Like, right. not everybody thinks I should do this. Right. Like, what? This is not like unanimity here. Uh, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm not this. Maybe I'm not this. Or we go, yeah, that stings a little bit. But you know what? I still believe that mm. the people I trust have affirmed this. Yeah. God has called me to this. The doors are open. We're going to do this. I think yeah. the question, I mean, Christine Kane could have walked off there and said, he's right. Like I am never going to mount to anything as a speaker or she could keep working on her craft. Yes. She could keep doing it. And yeah. she has since turned into not one of the best women speakers. She's turned into one of the best Christian speakers in Pe- the world. Period. Yes. Period. Recognized. Yeah. And that could have all gotten derailed mm. if she heard one bit of, of criticism and said, I'm done. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we we come up to those crossroads all the time. And the question is going to be, where do we either listen to it and go, yeah, they're right. Mm-hmm. Or where do we go? You know what? I hear that, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep soldiering on because mm-hmm. I believe that God has called me to do this. Yeah, that's so helpful, Brian. I think for me, my personality type, I, I'll just be vulnerable with our listeners. I do not have thick skin. I wish I had thick skin, but I am so sensitive sometimes and like overly fragile, not all the time, but when it comes to criticism, especially about like my speaking or ministry, and I tend to I tend to believe the worst about myself. So if I've heard criticisms like that, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't, oh, I should never do anything again. But then I do, I mean, thankfully, then the Holy Spirit is like, all right, girl, like lift your head up. What if I called you to do, look at the opportunities I've given you, find out what the like nuggets of truth are, but then you have to move forward. Because if you're going to be mm-hmm. in leadership of any kind, if you're going to be in in any, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a public position or a private position. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like you said, there's going to be criticism. And so we have to have the resiliency uh, developed in us to be able to bounce back and keep going, especially yeah. if God is clearly presenting opportunities or God has clearly put us where we are. You can't let these voices in the world like right. stop you. Um, it can be easy to do that. So then I think the next question is like, how do you respond? So in that moment, Brian, you said you, 
you were just looking to the people who had affirmed you and you knew already in your heart that God had called you to do this. I mean, was that a very intentional decision? Like, am I going to listen to this person or not listen to this person? Or were you just kind of firm in your beliefs and so it didn't shake you at all? You know, at the, by that point, people who I really trusted were kind of in my corner. They yeah. were saying, hey, we believe this is right. We believe you'd be good at this. And mm-hmm. so if that had happened at the front end of the conversation, I might have been really thrown. I might have said, oh, okay, yeah, no, maybe, maybe we should go a different direction. Maybe we should put brakes on this. And um, there were enough people in my life that I'd, I'd gone to before. And I think that's an important point, Aubrey, in this is who are you going to trust? That's good. Not everybody's opinions can be equal to you, right? That's good. Uh, but who are the people that when, when I hear from them, I'm going to go, I'm going to put a lot of weight mm. in that. And who are the people who just to be honest, you're going to go, that stings or like what we said with Keller before, I'm going to try to figure out where mm-hmm. there's truth in that. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I'm okay with whatever that person thinks and it's not going to throw me off. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a really, I think, encouraging good word for all of us. And, and and hopefully if you're out there today and you have felt rejected for some reason or shamed for some reason, that you can see that the Lord is actually writing a bitter, bigger, better story than you could imagine. And uh, anyway, we hope that brings you some hope on this Thursday mm-hmm. evening. Well, we will be back tomorrow right here from 4 to 6 p.m. Tomorrow's Friday. So we are looking forward to our top five list and some special guests. It's going to be a great show. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.